0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Front Row Public Service Announcement. Week and a half left to complete your Christmas shopping. Which By the way, I know am, what you can get me. What can I get you?
2: You can get me. How about a gift, for starters? How about the New York City telephone directory? So I can put it in this daggum short chair I'm sitting in <laughs> and be level with you. Uh,
1: do they actually still print the New York City telephone I don't, directory? I do not know. That would probably do it, though. It I would. Have. Tom and Keith with you, uh, back for another week. They're still having us. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in. We're going to turn our attention to the Orange Bowl in our next segment. Dan Murphy, who uh, is with ESPN.com, covers the Big Ten, will give us some insight on Michigan. We'll address those Harbaugh to the NFL rumors, which appear to be much ado about nothing. But we will address Harbaugh in general because that is a appears to be an odd bird. Uh, my father's favorite
2: expression was odd duck. And it was a play on if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, it yes. must be a duck. Well, that's an odd duck. But he can coach. That he can. I also,
1: astounding uh, numbers uh, that the Democrat was reporting yesterday, 43 seniors on this Michigan team. Have you ever heard of a I've never player?
2: heard of that. Uh, that That is beyond uh, understanding. And my first reaction in that we're playing Michigan and therefore they're an opponent. So I'm trying to look at ways to, you know, in my mind, make them be bad. Well, th- Dang, they 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 must not have any really good players because all of them are having to stay all the time. <laughs> they're rest-shutting all of them and keeping them for five years, and and none of them can play in the NFL. Yeah, now, I, I don't know that that's the case, but that was my rationalization.
1: Well, and I don't know how many of those are scholarship seniors. I couldn't find the breakdown on that, but I mean, it, for perspective, Florida State has nine scholarship seniors this year. Two of them didn't play, and two of them are out for the year. Right. I mean, so that's where the experience factor is. Anyway, we'll we'll talk about that. I don't know that we need to. Belabor the Heisman voting. It was what it was. Tied for 10th? Tied for 10th is a little ridiculous. I don't think Dalvin cares. I
2: think I finished 8th
1: my senior year. That was a joke. But it it wouldn't be that much of a surprise, though. Honestly, the way the voting is done, and I, you know.
2: <sighs> I don't know. I'm being sincere on that. Uh, I think what's going to be really interesting, and, and maybe will be a little bit of he who has the last laugh, Uh, and I've not done my research on this, but obviously the NFL spends a lot of time and effort evaluating players, and one would assume that if you take a running back ahead of another running back, it's because you thought that they would be better over the course of their NFL career. So I'm going to be interested to see where Dalvin gets slotted relative to the running backs, and relative to the other nine kids, obviously some of them are underclassmen, that got votes ahead of him when their time comes. I think they're, I think maybe Dalvin gets the last laugh, at least I hope he does.
1: I think he will, too. It was interesting. I uh, had a little Twitter conversation going on last week. People were talking about uh, where Dalvin's going to go in the draft, and I made the comment. I said, I hope he actually goes middle of the first or later because then you actually end gets up to on a, a, a good team. Yeah. team. Yeah. And Corey Simon jumped, and the premise was, get to a decent team, make your money in your second contract. And Corey Simon jumped in, the former Null, and he said – never ever wait for the second contract get as much as you absolutely positively can right now this minute because there may not be because whether you're with a good team or a bad team you're going to get hit and you're going to get beat up and there may not be a second contract but it was interesting perspective as we get close to the draft we should have Corey on to talk well so what, what it led to is it's really the selfish fan in all of us that says I don't want to see Dalvin not that Cleveland's thinking about taking him but I don't want to see Dalvin play for Cleveland and average two yards a carry. I and want to not, see him go somewhere where he can put up some numbers. And
2: for those of you that don't know Corey's uh, NFL career, he knows what he's talking about, and I don't mean this badly in any way, shape, form, or fashion, but he signed a second contract with big numbers and immediately got hurt. And it end up ended up being... Not maybe not that particular injury, but it ended up being a downhill thing where where his his career was cut short because of injury is my point. Yeah. Uh, so obviously he has a personal perspective that that he well can, well make can a note from. as we get into the
1: off season, get closer to the draft. Uh, not that he would share his personal numbers, but he would be a good person to talk about this whole topic and also. Uh, nfl retirement and that sort of things how much time you really need to get what counts what doesn't because that's always been uh, i guess if you do a lot of investigating you probably figure it out but it's been kind of a gray area That'll i, I did
2: that i had a, an afternoon down at the beach one time and i was online and i looked up a bunch of that stuff and it and it's a true pension plan we won't get into the details but it's based on length of service and those types of things so yeah every time you make a, a year and that's where all that going on injured reserve coming off injured reserve whether you're on the practice squad or whether you well, dress those are the the things that start adding those years up and yeah it gets very interesting
1: madison social is uh gearing up for its how's the uh, tree the the tree is up it looks great they're getting up set for their so long social which they do uh, at the end of every semester they're not leaving it's the students oh, okay. that are leaving commencement is this weekend if sure. you're not aware yeah uh, so that's taking place uh, tomorrow night. Uh, Centrale has expanded the menu offerings, which means we need to go back again because that's what you and I really need to do is eat more. But anyway, uh, thank you. That to will expand other I still haven't been to Township, so I got to get that on the bucket list and uh, and check that off. But uh, we appreciate their continued support. I am sure uh, as we move along that we will talk about FSU basketball because Leonard's team deserves its due. That was a big win the other day against uh, the University of Florida.
2: A huge win. Uh, propelled Florida State back into the top 25, at least in the AP. I think it was a long way towards giving the kids, so the younger kids, some confidence, uh, obviously, and hopefully uh, it was a pretty good crowd. It will bring more people into the Tucker Center to watch these kids. They're fabulous uh, and very entertaining. Um, and maybe propel – Florida State, I used to propel twice there uh, to their best non-conference start in the Hamilton era before they uh, uh, kick off that ACC. Well, they've the got schedule. two
1: more non-conference and then Wake Forest. So I mean, they've got a pretty good chance to be thirteen and one as they go to Virginia on New Year's Eve, the day after the Orange Bowl, and uh, then the then the I think they get Virginia Tech at home, and then they get that
2: Murderers' Row a stretch four in a row or something. Yeah, yeah.
1: But but this this team is going to give team's fits i mean nobody's looking at the tape uh finding a lot of holes there because there's there's multiple scoring options uh, and everybody appears to want to play defense uh, and give effort on top of the fact that they're athletic and they've got great length and so. they
2: even showed some full court pressure and some zone defense and and zone that's a word Leonard just doesn't like yeah he doesn't so, like zone
1: We'll we'll react more to that obviously tim lennefeld or seminoles.com insider will join us before we wrap up this first segment and turn our attention to michigan though i know that you saw the story yesterday about the Wake Forest radio guy sharing confidential information with opponents for the last three years because he was spurned and not hired by Dave Clawson to be retained to, to stay on this Wake Forest. That's as crazy a story as I can remember.
2: Two things. Number one, uh, we used to get way back in the day when everything was on paper, most of the kids get their stuff now on their iPads and, and those types of things, but we would get scouting reports in paper. And it would have our name printed in ink up at the top. And we would be able to look at those, and then we had to turn them back in. And if you didn't account for your scouting report, you got discipline. Uh, There was one time when one of the scouting reports, because they passed them out on the plane when we were flying somewhere, and one of them got left on the plane. And you would have thought the nuclear code had been released. That's how well-guarded this stuff is because coaches are paranoid, absolutely paranoid. Now, on the other side, because I've been listening to this, you're exactly right. Here's my quick 30-second take. That's a bunch of hogwash because nobody he gave that information to used it because they thought it was a plant because you never see that information. So they thought it was bogus and it was never used in my opinion
1: yeah well, they're going to continue to investing. What would be interesting though is if they find out that somebody paid him for that information, and then we've got a whole nother level. I don't disagree with what you're saying you're basically taking paranoia and multiplying it by paranoia, which is exactly the, which is what the coach which is, is what is. all coaches do yeah all right we'll chat on that more later, but uh, I did make the point on Twitter yesterday that you know the fans think all us radio guys are homers there's exhibit a that at least one of them's not. <laughs> We'll take a break, come back, talk about Michigan and Florida State right after this.
0: to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979 Espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: Back on the front row, Tom and KJ with you. We turn our attention now to the Orange Bowl Florida State and Michigan coming up on December 30th and uh, we're very grateful that uh, Dan Murphy from espn.com who covers the Big 10 and Michigan is uh kind enough to uh, join us for a few minutes uh Dan how are things?
3: Things are good. How are things down in uh Florida? Probably a little bit warmer than up here in Michigan yes. this
1: week. Yeah, warmer than where you are for sure and uh and warmer still in South Florida which means from a fan standpoint, I imagine that uh, Wolverine faithful are probably excited to to go to South Florida, but I guess we can start the conversation there. How much excitement is there given that Michigan didn't make the college football playoff and in some respects the Orange Bowl is a consolation prize?
3: Yeah, it's certainly not where Michigan fans or Michigan players were hoping they'd be booking tickets uh, around New Year's Eve weekend, but um, I think that it's still been uh long enough before they've had any great bowl games to celebrate that fans will get excited uh it's easy enough to get excited about going down to miami any time of year especially in january or february for the, the michigan folks and uh I, I expect that they'll travel pretty well the you know stephen ross who owns the the, the dolphins is down at that stadium there's a big michigan alum so i imagine that they'll uh be pretty hospitable to uh He's a big donor, too, so be pretty hospitable to those guys, and I would think that the Wolverines will, will travel pretty well despite not being in Atlanta or Arizona.
2: Dan, K.J. here. One of the things that uh, our fan base looks at when they look at Michigan is, is obviously the reputation and the tradition and the legend that is Michigan football, but then they come to Coach Harbaugh. And they don't know him well. They only know what they have bits and pieces. Now, I had the opportunity and pleasure to play for Coach Bowden, and everybody associated him with being the grandfatherly type, and the writers all liked him, and no one had any idea of how competitive and how hard-nose he was. We have this perception of Coach Harbaugh as a little bit of an of a eccentric guy. What's the real story from the people that have to deal with him on a day-to-day basis?
3: eccentric is definitely a fair description uh, I think people see him maybe as, as a little bit more devious than he might be um, he's he's a an, definitely an interesting guy you know I've been covering the team since he got here and um, he he always has something new or interesting to say uh, you know last night he created some ways talking about some of the NFL rumors and I believe he called a few fellow uh college head coaches jive turkeys so he's always good for a one-liner but he's a really smart guy I mean his players absolutely love him he's probably not as difficult to cover uh, as some as you might think from a distance based on uh, some of the things he says and does Uh, you know he he has a different mind he doesn't think in the same way that a lot of football coaches think that we're used to kind of dealing with so I think people uh, see him say things and and uh, kind of try to figure out where he's coming from. Uh, I think most people who cover him up here have stopped trying to guess what's going on in his head. But uh, he's straightforward. He will uh, he will tell you what you think, what he thinks. And uh, I definitely prefer that over you know somebody who's just kind of spitting platitudes at us all day.
2: Well, and I would think too for the average fan that that focuses in on those uh, uh, abnormalities uh, to to his credit's not the right word, but it probably overshadows the fact that he's a pretty good X and O guy, or he wouldn't be where he's oh, at. Oh,
3: yeah. He's, uh, it's really interesting. You know, he runs a pro-style offense and um, loves, loves to throw fullbacks and tight ends at you as far as the eye can see. But he's actually, he and his offensive coaching staff are one of the more innovative staffs in the country with some of the different things they do out of some sets that look a little bit more traditional but certainly don't act that way. Um, you know, they – They've done a good job of uh, mixing things up, and he also does a great job with, with quarterbacks. He's had you know, a, a first-year grad transfer starter last year, and he's got a, a redshirt freshman or a redshirt sophomore now in Wilton Spate starting this year who's uh, you know, on a week-by-week basis you can see those guys getting better, and of course that uh, drives the offense for most teams. One
1: statistic that came out this week uh, via the local newspaper here, the Tallahassee Democrat, and I'm sure it's been talked about, but I, I was flabbergasted when I read that there's 43 seniors on this Michigan team. I, I don't know how many of those are scholarship. That's as uh, as, as senior-laden a team as I can think of in college football.
3: Yeah, it, it, they are very, very veteran-heavy. 43 is probably some interesting math to get those numbers up there between redshirt seniors and fourth-year guys who many of them will be eligible for a fifth year. Uh, they They kind of... Honor all all the, the fourth year guys what, because they're not sure if they're coming back or not. So that makes the group a little bit bigger than it might seem. But uh, they do have, you know, 15 or 16 guys in their starting lineup who are either seniors or, or redshirt juniors that are probably moving on to the NFL uh, after this game. So, um, especially on the defense, they are very veteran heavy. They were, they were guys that under the last coaching staff, played as you know, true freshmen and sophomores and have a ton of experience. Um, so that's, that's one of their strengths and probably one of the, the interesting storylines in this game is Florida State seems like they're a couple years uh, further behind as far as experience goes there. they got some younger guys who are coming up. Michigan has is, uh, is got their veteran group who's, who's going to be turning things over here after this season.
1: I'm not sure if you have access to talk to the assistant coaches at Michigan, but I'm curious your your take on uh, on Don Brown and the job he's done with this defense, because obviously he was in the ACC prior to going to join Coach Harbaugh's staff.
3: Yeah, we, we get to chat with those guys every once in a while, not too often, but uh, Don is, is a fun guy to cover. He is, again, an, an innovative guy, uh, as you probably know from his ACC days, did not take the conventional path to get where he went, uh, you know, coach. The Ivy League's coached a lot of small New England schools before uh, Boston College caught wind of them. Um, he's done a really nice job fitting, fitting an a interesting, aggressive defense. Um, you know, every defensive coordinator likes to talk about how aggressive they're going to be. But, but Michigan, I think, blitzes more often than they don't. They're, they're pretty good at getting off the field. I think the best, best team in the last decade as far as uh, the opponent's third down conversion rates, which is really a key for them. And then he does a really nice job with, with the guy that everybody always wants to talk about, Jabril Peppers, moving him around, finding different spots, where even if he's not making the play, uh, a lot of offenses are adjusting to him and then having to account for him in four or five different spots within the space of a game on that defense.
1: Just a point of clarification, when you say best in the last decade at, at third-down percentage defense, do you mean at Michigan or you mean in college
3: football? No, in college football, yeah. yeah all, that, all
1: that's what I football. thought. I just wanted to clarify that point. So that's that's doing some mm-hmm. work.
2: Dan, when, uh, when Michigan folks look at Florida State and where they're at now and uh, having played in the, in the playoffs a couple of times, won a national championship, what's the overall perception your people uh, are bringing to, to Miami and, and what they think they're going to face in a Florida State group?
3: Sure, yeah. I think the folks up here um, know that Florida State is a team that is always loaded with athletes, loaded talent, talent-wise. And, um, you know, I... I I don't know how closely they follow the, the week-to-week stuff. I know certainly uh, from from what I've seen the last, you know, it seems like they're peaking in November and really hitting their stride in the last three or four weeks. So uh, I'm expecting it to be a great game. I think fans, uh, you know, in a similar way that, that Florida State fans probably look on from a distance of Michigan and see the tradition and, and see the, uh, the old kind of winning ways. I think people look at Florida State and think of Coach Bowden and think of, uh, you know, I know, Jim Harbaugh was pretty excited about the uh, – Osceola horses uh, taking the field and that kind of thing, and the, and the Tomahawk chops, and all those things uh, translate up here for sure as a, one of those uh, Blue Bud National programs, and I think that's um, one thing that they probably has folks excited that if, if they can't play, if they can't watch Michigan play in a playoff game, they're at least going to get to see them go against a big time program in a big bowl game.
2: It's amazing to me too. Uh, I played at Florida State in the late seventies. Uh, that Michigan has only played, and Florida State have only played a couple of times. You would have thought those mm-hmm. paths would have crossed more.
3: Yeah, no. Some somebody needs to uh, get uh, the two ads together when they get down there in Miami and set some up. That would be of fun
1: series to see continue well you know how tough it is to get non-conference uh opponents on your home field these days so we'll have to make that happen in in like dallas like michigan opening with florida next year uh in that game I, i'm curious uh you know and this is sort of a everybody throws this question out uh, about the expansion potential of the college football playoff but in light of the big 10 scenario this year with penn state making an argument Michigan fans making an argument, Ohio State being the team that's in. Uh, is there any kind of consensus where you are in Big Ten territory about whether we're fine at four or should expand beyond that?
3: I don't know if there's any more consensus here than there is anywhere else in the country. There are definitely folks that that would love to see it get to eight games and think that the Big Ten would have at least gotten two teams in in that scenario, if not three. Um, but uh, I mean, personally, come for me. I, I love the fact that it's it's four teams and there's five conferences, and the math there just works out for a perfect fun little musical chairs game that I think makes college football so great uh, that we can have these debates. And I know that when you're when you're uh, cheering for a team that's on on the fifth or sixth lot looking in, it's not so much fun. But um, up here, I don't I don't know that uh, I think that folks have realized that in the first three years. Um, if you complain about a certain scenario or a certain set of criteria and want it to go one way one year, the next year it's going to end up being the exact opposite of that. And it's you know there's there's no foolproof way to figure out how, what what's going to be best for your conference or for your team on a year to year basis based on uh, the first the small set of the first three years of data we've gotten from the committee so far.
1: Well, one point that continues to hold true, uh, save for maybe one exception uh, in Auburn years ago, is that if you win all your games, uh, it it doesn't matter if it's a committee or a poll or the BCS, you're you're probably going to be in the playoff.
3: That's a pretty good way to go about it. Yeah, just keep winning football games.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Well, we'll let you go on this. What do you see as the keys for Michigan in this game against Florida State? Uh,
3: Slow down Dalvin Cook, obviously. It seems like he is the guy that makes them go. um, Watching... Him go against Michigan's front seven um, and try to find some cracks in there is going to be a really fun and entertaining matchup. Um, and then offensively, Wilton Spate was uh, injured in, in the last couple games of the year. Um, and Michigan's creativity that they showed on offense kind of dwindled with, uh, with him being out against Indiana. And then uh, it seemed like at least uh, a little bit hamstrung by, by a non-throwing shoulder injury against Ohio State so I think that uh, with, with a healthy spate if they can kind of open things back up again and try to get creative and they'll have a full month to try to come up with some entertaining things that um, they'll have a better chance of trying to get into that Florida secondary in, in the middle there and, and try to get away from McFadden and some of the other players that, that can uh, make plays and, and try to get down the field against the else.
1: Makes sense sounds good Dan thanks so much for your insight uh, from Big Ten territory.
3: You got it, fellas. Looking forward to uh, heading down your way here in a couple weeks.
1: All right, we'll uh, we'll say hello when we see you in South Florida. That is uh, Dan Murphy, who covers Michigan in the Big Ten for uh, ESPN.com. Appreciate uh, his insight on the Wolverines. We will pause, step aside, come back, react to some of what he said as we continue on the front row. Stay with us.
3: <laughs>
0: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee. This is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones.
1: back on the front row thanks to Dan Murphy for joining us to talk some Wolverine football Michigan a favorite in this football game and the more experienced team for sure I knew there was something about the 43
2: that just that just couldn't be now they are very serious I mean very senior laden but 43 right that 43 number just that just,
1: makes well that's half your football exactly game. yeah so that makes a little bit more sense but uh, it doesn't change the fact that that certainly it is fair to characterize it as an experienced Michigan team against a younger Florida State team. I mean, FSU had nine scholarship seniors this year, and two of them didn't play, and two of them are out for the year, and Bobo
2: and Nate Andrews. So, I mean, there's not a lot of seniors on that FSU team. And and um, a lot of that senior – uh laden uh segments the two biggest ones are the offensive line and the defensive line i mean that's a dumb statement but that's where this game's going to be won or lost is who can control the line of scrimmage and they are big they are fast they are experienced it, it'll be a tough tough nut for florida state
1: on both sides of the ball i don't think we got the the answer there i didn't really press him on it and i don't know that we'll know the answer as to how motivated michigan is uh, dan talked a little bit about the fans and their interest, but Ultimately, to me, in, co- in the college game, this matters more than we talk about. It. I think we discussed this last week on the show. But is I'm not suggesting Michigan's going to mail it in, but how seriously are they going to
2: well, here, here, prep and plan for this game? Here's Here's my take on it, for whatever it's worth. When Florida State was preparing for Houston last year, it's because they didn't make the college football playoffs and they weren't close. They weren't close to making it. Right. Michigan was close and thinks they ought to be in. And therefore, they have to go to Miami and play in the Orange Bowl. I think their motivation may not be to be in the Orange Bowl, but it may be we got to show the world that we deserve to be in the playoff.
1: And it may be. So you think they have a
2: chip on their shoulder and they'll come exactly. out and play well. Exactly. That would be my guess if I had to answer the test Co- question. Well, that's a, that's a
1: pretty good comparison. Compared to Florida State last year that was just like, you know, we're done with the season and we're playing Houston. Whatever. We... I do think that the opponent for each side will get each side excited about it. Well, and I mean, I think, this this is a, it's a, even though Michigan's the favorite, they're excited to play Florida state or they should be. And FSU certainly excited to play Michigan.
2: And think about the kids, the kids, you know, are 19, 20, 22 year olds. They, they're not necessarily aware of how good Michigan was in, in the forties, 50s, 60s, 70s, and eighties. And Michigan ki- kids are not aware of the dynasty. You know, they didn't, they didn't witness that per se. What, I think it's going to be interesting is how the kids, when they get down to Miami, how the kids see the opponent's fans reacting. And, and, and I think the fans are going to be excited about being there. I know Florida State fans are excited about playing Michigan, uh, and I assume Michigan fans are excited about playing Florida State. And I think the kids might see that in the opponent's fan base and say to themselves, wow, this, this really is important. Uh, even though they may not individually understand it as completely as we would like from the two.
1: I think the fan showing will be interesting because I'm not going to be surprised one iota if there's more Michigan folks there than Florida State fans, even though South Florida is the biggest alumni population for FSU. Both teams sold out their, their allotment, which leaves the secondary market. Right. Michigan's alumni base is nearly twice the size as Florida State, so it's a bigger brand, bigger school, longer history, more people associated with Michigan. That's just the reality. Plus, even though,
2: plus there may be more Michigan graduates in South Florida than even Florida State graduates, given the retirement communities
1: and over in, in Southwest Florida too, in Naples, there is a huge Michigan presence. A lot of fo- the Snowbirds come down for a reason because they want to get out of the snow. So there is, uh, I don't know. I hope it's an even split. I hope it's certainly not, uh you know, too much of the maize in blue, but. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if there is more there, and that's not disrespect to FSU folks. I just think that Michigan's got big numbers there. Uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, I don't want to dig dive too deep on the Dalvin-Heisman thing, but I guess we probably need to do a little bit there. And I think we talked about this last week. There's a lot of reasons. I had a lot of slashes as to why uh, Dalvin potentially has left off. I, I think as we've looked at the voting now, It strikes me that when you're splitting your vote among three ACC players, there's a lot of people that probably didn't want to put a third ACC player on there. But it also strikes me if you look at Dalvin's career and you think about the big games that he's played in, and this is not to say he's not a big game player, but the spotlight games against Oregon when he was a freshman. He fumbled a couple times in the second half. If you look at last year, he did not have a great game against Georgia Tech, a game that ended with the kick six that made headlines. And so when everybody saw the ending of that game, Then SportsCenter went to the graphic of the stats, and it said Dalvin, 15 carries for 59 yards. Then Houston in the bowl game, he did not play well in that. Then Ole Miss on Labor Day night, he had a lot of receiving yards, but he didn't have a lot of rushing yards. And then Louisville, he didn't play well against Lamar Jackson. And so even though some national media uh, have come out and said, I think it was Ivan Mazel said he only watched the Louisville game, if you look at that number of games and how Dalvin performed there, I think you can – I'm, you can't justify voting him tenth, but I can see how he slipped in the voting.
2: And and I think the, the other part of it is also related to, although this is going to sound contradictory, because uh, the Louisville kid won it. You know how well your team's doing. If you're if you're a, if right. you're not the front runner. If you're not heads and shoulders above, or one of the top two then how well your team does has a, a effect because you pick up a lot of points with people that put you second or third on a ballot, and they're not going to put you second or third on a ballot unless you're the real front runner and you're but you're playing on a nine and three team.
1: Yeah. So to an FSU person, the wins over Miami and Florida were big games and Dalvin played well, but to the national media no. those weren't big games because FSU was out of the conversation Correct. at that point. So I think that's how it happened. Uh, he still is better than tied for 10th. And as you said earlier, I think he will get the last laugh. Big topic this week around the state of Florida has been the head coaches of the collegiate football teams in this state. Now that Lane Kiffin has arrived,
2: Charlie Strong has arrived, Butch Davis has arrived. It is quite the who's who. You know, I, you and I have talked about this for years and, and 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 Paul Kennedy, our colleague at Sun Sports, we would talk about this going back 15 years you know, there's legitimately six or seven programs in this state. I mean, we, we could have as many named programs in this state as Texas does, if they if they just dedicated the right amount of resources and got the right coaches in place. And I'm not suggesting that these three new coaches are the right coaches for these three institutions. We'll, time will tell. But I mean, you you could see a day, even 15 years ago, when Florida would have seven, six, seven or eight you know, institutions that that were putting, you know, 60,000 people into a stadium and playing in consecutive bowl games. Uh, it's almost a wonder why it hasn't happened, if you, if you want to think about it that way.
1: Well, there's a lot of other schools that are loading their roster from out of state. And, and that, to me, that's where Agreed. the competition is going to come on this. I don't see it being a huge factor in terms of what Florida State recruits. Uh, Lane Kiffin may be Lane Kiffin, but I don't see FSU losing guys to FAU just because Lane's there or FIU. Maybe you lose a Tampa kid to USF, but I think that hits Florida harder because the Tampa area has been a much bigger pipeline to Gainesville than it has been to Tallahassee historically.
2: Well, and and South Florida, I don't mean this derogatorily, but there's no loyalty in South Florida. Those kids go everywhere. Right. And rightfully so. There's so many of them that they they can and need to. Uh, So it'll just be interesting. But again, I go back to my point there's, there's no reason someday we're sitting here talking about seven or eight Florida schools that are players on any given year for, for certain honors and types of things within their classification.
1: Why is Butch Davis still coaching?
2: Because that's what he is. He's a coach. Is it that? Is it ego? Is it paycheck? No. It's e- it's ego He's a and drive. I mean, why why do pastors continue to f- do fulfillment in pulpits when they're eighty years old? It's what they're called to do. It's what they do. Certain coaches. Why, why did Coach Bowden coach too? He was one hundred and three. You know, they are coaches that that's that's their life. That's what they do. Uh, it's like a golfer, you know. He, he, you don't give up golfing. No, you make a good case. I
1: mean, it's a little, you know, Coach Bowden was at a program he built that was still doing well. It's a little different than going to FIU, uh, you know, at well, the end of the day. Why did Schnellenberger
2: continue to try to take over things and make them new? Why is, why is Leonard Hamilton, well, then although he's in year Lane, 15 Kiffin. here?
1: But, what does it say that the best job Lane Kiffin could get is FAU? Well, you got to remember one thing. Is what, Nick that tough to work for, or he just wants to be a head coach that bad? He wasn't going to be retained at Alabama you think he was gone he and
2: nick he and nick do not get along Well, that is true that is they true. do not get along and nick was going to get rid of him so he appropriately and smartly had to get a job had somewhere. to get a job somewhere else yeah period the end ask dave hart how that works
1: yeah yeah it's just interesting that lane kiffin is the other thing is and we need to go to break uh, yeah he's a great offensive mind he's never proven he can do anything as a head coach has he not yet well, but he's, he's only 41 40 years old. That's true. He's got another chance. All right. Tim Linnefeldt, uh, our Seminoles.com insider, will give concrete, sound answers to all of this gibberish that Keith and I are spewing right now. And <laughs> we continue on the front row, stay with us. Just,
0: we don't need no control. You are listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith.
2: Bad
1: company is back, and that can mean just one one thing. Yeah, well, it means two things. It means Tim Linefelder, Semmels.com insider, is going to join us. What's the other one? It means that even though it's not a game week, we're pretty much mailing in the front row for the next two weeks. So this is as close as we're getting. So we've got to return to our roots here as we go to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline and say hello to Tim, Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Tim, how are
4: you? I'm good, Tom. How are
1: you? Good. And yeah, just that is a programming note here. Uh, don't worry, though. Next two weeks at 6 o'clock, we will have the best of the front row coming your way. We're old enough now. we We can have the best of we have been around long enough that there is there's like 70 shows of mediocrity to choose from and we have compiled the best of the mediocrity we'll put it together next week and in two weeks right i refer to
2: it as the cream of the crap
1: (laughs) there you go (laughs) tim we don't refer to you that way however as we uh shift our focus to fsu we talk to the michigan side of things and I, you know what? I feel like we need to start basketball here, not football. I, I hate to put the Orange Bowl on hold, but we're going to do it because the basketball team is uh, to 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 get on the the bandwagon with Jeff Cameron. I mean that that train is chugging along here towards the tournament at this point with a ten and one start.
4: Yeah, they absolutely are. I think there's every reason to believe that they'll be twelve and one to start conference play with uh, two more games against Manhattan. And Sanford coming up, and then you, you play at home against Wake Forest to, to start conference play, and I think that's a game that you, you like to think that Florida State has a pretty good chance to win that. So things are definitely looking up, and it's not just the record, you know. Like we, we've seen Florida State teams have good records before, um, and it's been a little while since they've been ten and one, but it's just the the way they look, it's the way they play, uh, it's the the obvious overall talent level that they have, and we saw Dwayne Bacon do against Florida the other night some of the shots that he made and moves that he made uh, were just spectacular. So uh, the fact that they are, are off to as good of a start, you know, in terms of their record and RPI and all that stuff, that, that, that that's great. But just watching the product on the floor, I think if you're a longtime Florida State basketball fan or even just a fan from the last few years, I mean, you just seem, they just look different. And there are things, I think I said last week, that translate regardless of opponent. You know, when you're talking about the way they shoot the ball or the way they, they just seem to sort of have basketball smarts uh, basketball IQ, like I, I know they like to say, is the phrase that, that maybe we haven't seen as much of in the last few years. So, uh, to me, yeah, it's a really exciting time to, to be a Florida State basketball fan.
2: The the downside, immediate downside that I see, uh, Tim, and I'd be interested in your perspective is is Leonard has even in the Florida game played eleven and twelve you know the book whoever wrote that dang thing says that you got to narrow that down to, to 8 or 9 or maybe 10 and and therefore a couple of three kids are going to lose some playing time that hasn't ha- didn't happen in the Florida game i, I can't imagine that it doesn't happen what, what are your thoughts
4: well yeah i was actually really surprised by that and there are a few times i uh, you know, in the interest of transparency, there's some of the lineups we saw on Sunday against Florida. I was like, "What in the world is this? Like, what is this combination, and, and when will we ever see this? What what is its usefulness in the ACC?" I do think that there will be some trimming uh, trimming down to that that uh, that rotation. Now, I think they like the idea that they can go 12 deep, and I think you want to try to get those guys as much experience as you can in the event of an injury or anything like that that's unforeseen. Uh, get those guys as much action as you can. Uh, but, yeah, I think you'll, you'll probably see it trend down. We were having that, that kind of conversation in the office yesterday. Who's going to sort of be the odd man out? And I, and I wonder, you know, and probably looking at, I think P.J. Savoy has probably cemented a place for himself in the rotation going forward because he can do something that just about nobody else can do on a consistent basis. Uh, I think that Trent Forrest is probably the, your, your top choice freshman besides Jonathan Isaac. But then I, you know, I look at Brian Angola Rodas and uh, C.J. Walker, and I think that those guys, that the two of them might be sort of fighting for that last regular rotation spot, not to say that they will never play, but, but that's kind of who I'm looking at as, as maybe players who haven't quite yet separated themselves completely, at least to this point in the season. But I, you're right, I think it's, it'll be maybe 10. I, I, they do like depth, and, and Leonard loves the idea that, that they're going to be deeper than everybody else and be able to, to, to roll b- that way. Um, but you're right; they're gonna have to turn it down a little bit.
2: The, obviously, the most improved player on the court for Florida State is, is Michael Ojo, and I, I made the comment, and this is going to sound so disrespectful. I hope Mike doesn't hear it wrongly because he will pound me into cement.
4: Well, I was going to say, be careful here, Keith.
2: But you know, it, it used to be you would almost he would do something two years ago, something would happen at some point in the game, and you would be embarrassed for him. It, it would be an embarrassment. He doesn't embarrass himself anymore. I mean, he he is a con- he's not just filling up space. He's contributing now. He's not an all star. He's not going to make the, uh, the you know anybody's first round draft pick list. But he is productive in the paint.
4: Oh, it's a remarkable story. I, I, I don't know that there are too many better in college basketball out there. I mean, you're right. It was sort of everybody wanted him to do well because you ever talked to him. He's such a nice kid. Has an incredible story uh and, and the fact that he's over here you know leonard leonard speaks about him almost with I don't, I don't want to say reverence but it's obvious how much affection leonard hamilton has for michael Ojo and everything he's been through to get to this point and then uh, the only thing that was missing was that it wasn't translating on the basketball court and so that was hard to watch and i think michael knew it you know um but if there was ever a player you know when when he got here in 2012 i, I looked at him and said man that kid almost has a red shirt and, and then he didn't for one reason or another they, they really couldn't afford to well last year he had to because of the injury And if there was ever a player who could benefit from sitting out a year, I think think Michael Ojo is the the, the top of that list. Give him time to to sit, to watch, to learn the system. He still hasn't, to borrow a phrase from Larry Hamilton, he still hasn't played that much basketball in his life. Uh, Get more comfortable with the ball in his hands, get more comfortable with the free throw line, which he's obviously done, uh, and just get more confident as as an overall player. Uh, we were hoping that that would be the case going into the season, and so far it clearly has. Like you said, he's not necessarily an all-star. I don't think he's going to be an all-ACC player, but he, he's, a, he's a factor. You know, He's making teams game plan for him and, and making teams adjust to what he can do because man, at, at his size, if you give him just a little bit of a mean streak in the paint, uh, there's not a whole lot, a lot of players out there that can match up with him.
2: I know one thing. I don't want to be an official. He gets angry at not that he's <laughs> just that he does anything, but he just growls at me, and I shrink.
4: <laughs> I think that's uh, that's fair. Yeah, and you'd like to see that. Yeah, that was always the kind of the the rap on him for uh, the first several years was play- teammates would say we just need to get him playing angry, but like, that's what that's what we have to do, and and, and whatever the, whatever the case may be to get that to happen, you know. But uh, but but once you get him with a little bit of like sort of a mean streak when he's on the floor, and he's such a nice guy that I think that's hard for him. Like give him a little bit of mean streak and maybe make opponents you know, fear him a little bit. You don't want to go up in the paint against Michael Ojo. You see that guy? I mean, he's, he's enormous. Uh, that's a huge benefit for Florida State if they can do that and if that continues. I think he's, he's off to a fantastic start, and I think most people uh, in the department and the basketball program are really, really happy for him.
1: And the Owls are off to a fantastic start. Back into the top 25, they play Saturday against Manhattan in the Orange Bowl tournament or classic, whatever the official name is. And then I think that's a 130 tip. And then they play Monday a matinee affair against Samford. Two o'clock on Monday, and then two weeks from tonight is that ACC home opener or ACC opener period against Wake Forest. And I, I tell you, Tim, I have absolutely no concerns about the Wake Forest game because the Wake Forest radio guy has already sent Leonard <laughs> the playbook, so I feel pretty confident about that one.
4: That's a that's a heck of a story, huh? We talked about that yet, uh, Keith
1: and I have. But if you'd like to share, to you know, it, it's kind of interesting uh, when I was looking at my Twitter feed because media are as jaded. As anybody out there they've seen everything they've heard everything they're not surprised by anything but when that news broke yesterday every national media member a sports writer i follow was weighing in on like wow i've never seen this i mean it was that kind of story
4: yeah it's it's weird and the one thing i'm a little bit uncomfortable with and i'm not trying to moralize here but i think a lot of folks are, are sort of laughing it off or dismissing it because it's wake forest but I wonder if the, if the teams involved were, say, Clemson and Louisville instead of Wake Forest and Louisville. I think that would be a pretty big deal, or, or, or any any you know major program in, in college football if was was involved with that. I know you know Wake Forest is sort of struggling with its with its football program right now, but like again, let's let's say that Clemson won that game as a result of, of of you know stolen plans, or Louisville had beaten Clemson, and then it came out that a Clemson radio guy had had given Louisville Clemson's game plan. I feel like that would kind of be a national scandal at this point.
2: Timberlake would never do
4: that. Well, probably not. Probably not. But but, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I think because it's it's Wake Forest, people aren't really treating this the same way that that maybe they should. Because I feel like that's kind of a big deal. And I'm not saying that you know John Swafford needs to you know rule with an iron fist here or anything like that. And it sounds like Wake Forest has already handled the situation internally and done the best they can. But in you know in any type of sports, the 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 sanctity of the competition, I guess for lack of a better word, knowing that the competition is legitimate is is paramount so I, I don't know it's just just a weird deal and I'll, I'll be curious to see what the reaction is i don't know what you guys maybe i'm way off base on that and tell me if i am no no uh, i
1: just i mean so there's a gray area you know you talk about baseball and stealing signs and in the national championship game for for fsu there was the damien is knows our signal sort of thing but that's that's kind of things that are that's done game-manship. With, that's gamesmanship you're doing with it. and so even if you were an opponent and you found a game plan that was accidentally left somewhere, I guess it'd be up to you to choose whether you wanted to use that information or not. But the idea that someone was uh, willfully, uh, apparently proactively shopping this information.
2: Which, which, Tim, was why I told Tom, ain't nobody got that information used it because they thought it was a plant. Yeah.
4: Well, yeah. you know, there's something to that. It's—it's it's Again, you start to get in all the, the different aspects of espionage. I mean, who knows?
2: Yeah, well, Keith, espionage. Only only Linnefeld would come up with espionage. Hey, you like that?
1: Keith gets more and more paranoid the older he gets, so he is convinced that uh, you know that, that nobody would absolutely have used that information. It's just, I don't know. It's a crazy
4: story. It, it, I, it really is. I'm, I'm glad there was an actual leak, though. I was that would have been disappointing if it was just you know a random occurrence. But the uh, the conspiracy theorist in me loves the idea that there actually was somebody somebody close with the program I and mean, who. Gosh, I do kind of feel for Wake. I mean, what a kick in the gut to know that one of your former players and former assistant coaches was so actively working against you. That's got to be a tough to swallow.
1: Well, and I'll have to admit that, you know, part of me was convinced that it wasn't beyond Bobby Petrino to be going out there and swiping these game plans, and I'm going to have to apologize to him here because this was actually on Wake.
4: Yeah, well, but, but let's, let's say that, though. I mean, if they can prove that Louisville did receive Wake Forest's game plan and did use it, uh, and I don't know how I would prove that. But if you do, I mean, what what does that mean? And You, you know, like, are there are there repercussions for Louisville? Or are there, do they bear any responsibility at all? I don't know the answer to that question, but I think it's worth asking.
1: Give the Heisman Trophy back. Let's get Dalvin up to at least ninth place in the voting. Yeah, there you go.
4: <laughs> I, I think that'll solve, solve all our problems. All
1: right, let's, speaking of Dalvin and the football team, it's exam week right now. Uh, what's what's the schedule here for the Knolls uh, as they start to, uh, uh, you know, this has been the... Uh, Rest, recruit, recoup, get your legs back, uh, study, take care of your academics, and then we'll uh, turn the page and focus on Michigan uh, time of the year.
4: You said it. Uh, yeah, I think they'll get back to practice uh, on uh, on Thursday. They've been practicing a little bit, kind of some light stuff, but I think they'll get back uh, in the swing of things tomorrow. Uh, they'll have some evening practices, I think, Thursday and Friday, and then some midday practices on Saturday and Sunday. And then I think they only have one next week before breaking for Christmas. They are going to let the players – uh, go home and, and spend some time with their families before reconvening in Miami, or I guess it's Fort Lauderdale, South Florida we call it these days, uh, on Christmas Eve. It's just, south, just south
1: of Yeehaw Junction uh, by <laughs> exactly. about an hour or so,
4: Tim. I know exactly where that is. There you go. So that's that's kind of where things are, though. They'll, they'll practice, I think, maybe three or four times, maybe a little bit more than that in Tallahassee. Uh, I'm going off the top of my head here and then take a couple days for the holidays and then get down to, to Fort Lauderdale. They'll be down there on December 24th. Uh, so yeah the, the fun little aspect of, of these New Year's six games is you're there for the whole week, which means sometimes you got to sort of readjust your uh, your Christmas schedule if you're a football player, but that's part of the deal.
1: Well, this year the Orange Bowl decided to move up a day, I guess to the 30th. so uh, that that affected the, the holiday schedule there. Uh, you know I don't know that you would know anything now or, or certainly name any names, but are we going to be sweating uh, the posting of final exam grades next week and, and uh, worrying that uh, everybody's eligible? Not just posting the, not post and the I, grades. Did they show up for the final?
4: <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I'm aware of. So usually that kind of stuff doesn't come out for uh, for another little while. The you know, final exams aren't even uh, aren't even finished yet. It's only Wednesday, so uh, I haven't heard anything on that front. It's been a while since uh, since there've been any issues uh, on that front that I can recall. Everything usually tends to work out uh, around this time of year, which has been a uh, a sort of underrated feather in uh, in Jimbo Fisher's cap that uh, that that hasn't been an issue, but but we'll see. You know, it's certainly longtime fans are always kind of wondering, waiting to see that date pass uh, to get to that point. But uh, you know, it really hasn't been too much of an issue, unless there's unless there's something I'm forgetting. But you know, lately I, there hasn't been much of that to speak of.
1: Yeah, hopefully we just didn't uh, <clears throat> go kiss it. kiss of death there on on that. Uh, what else is going on? Slow time of year, obviously with the holidays. Sue Semrau Seminoles keep on keeping on. One. One little uh, tidbit for fans that are traveling to the Orange Bowl, if you don't know, is that uh, the FSU women play at Miami. I guess the night before the Orange Bowl on that Thursday down in Coral Gables. So if you're looking for something to do, you can go support Florida State down there. But they're what are they? they I know they were seventh. Did they move up this week? I mean, they're they're they keep on keeping on.
4: You know, I actually, I actually haven't seen the poll, but I think they they might be sixth. But uh, but you're right. They they are crushing it. Uh, they look really really good. And and you know the the biggest thing to me that stands out about them is that. Have you seen what UConn has been doing since Florida State lost to them by the the, the hair of their chinny-chin-chin? Chin? I mean, UConn's been going out and abolishing people. Uh, and Florida State had them about as on the ropes as you can possibly be. And a now, player down. And, and their best player down. And, and their, you know, their Olympic silver medalist wasn't playing uh, due to a hamstring injury. So, look, I, I think it's perfectly within the realm of possibility. That was UConn's first game. They're probably better now than they were three or four weeks ago when they came to Tallahassee. But the fact that Florida State was so close being the number one team in the country that night we were sort of saying well you know UConn lost the top three players in the WNBA draft they're still good but they're not going to be UConn good well it turns out they might be UConn good uh which means that Florida State I'm comfortable saying is not too terribly far off that pace especially once you add Leticia Romero into the mix I mean she's a fantastic player I think she would have made a difference against UConn uh, in that game and then who knows what might have happened but You know, it's to the point where I think it would have been awesome for Florida State to win that game for a lot of different reasons. But losing the way they did certainly doesn't hurt them. If anything, it might even help them a little bit because you know, if you're an analyst or pundit or fan, you can say, "Well, look, we lost by two points and didn't have our best player." Not that you get credit for that as a win, but you certainly don't get dinged as as badly for a loss. Well,
2: you get credit for that come March. That that'll take you from a from a third seed to a two seed real quick.
4: And I think they absolutely could be. I mean, if they keep playing the way they do, again, the, the ACC in women's basketball is about as tough as the ACC in men's basketball. So there's going to be you know, some difficult stretches in there. But, I mean, this, this looks every bit like a, a Sweet 16 Elite Eight team to me. And, you know, there's if you, if you look at some of the teams that Florida has had in the past and assume this one's better, uh, and I think that's fair, or at least as good. I mean, they, I think they have a legitimate Final Four aspirations. I really do. I mean, that team is really, really good. Uh, playing really well and the, the, some of the things they were missing last year uh, I think they they have a certain more uh, mental toughness and fortitude than maybe they did a year ago and, and it really shows that uh, you saw it against Florida uh, the other night Tom if you were out there I think you were uh, you know the way they I played was. in that game uh, was maybe a game that I don't maybe they would win that game last year but I don't know if they'd win it the way that they did as far as defense rebounding sort of uh, ex, ex, Putting their will on the other team uh, and, and really running them out of the building. I mean, that was a ranked Florida team that, that Florida State just sort of embarrassed.
2: The biggest thing so, about it is it, the outcome was never in doubt.
4: No, not even uh, not even a little bit. Even when the game was was a single digits, it never felt like two were, were on the same uh, same playing field, so to speak. So, uh, exciting time for them, no doubt. I, I think you need know, not to put undue pressure on them, but uh, but I think it's a team that certainly can dream of the Final Four legitimately.
1: Tim, uh, we like you so much that we're going to give you the next two weeks off. So uh, enjoy the holiday break. Happy holidays to you. Hey,
4: is it paid
1: vacation? Uh, We're going to have to have your people talk to our people again. I I vote that
2: we double your pay.
4: All right, we'll get on it. In in the holiday (laughs) spirit. All right,
1: thanks. Our Seminoles.com insider on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. We'll uh, come back, wrap things up right after this on the front row.
0: you are listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPN radio.com. Here's Tom and Keith.
1: We'll wrap things up. You know, we were talking about the kiss of death. What do you want to
2: question, please? Yes. They haven't changed math, have they? no something times zero is still zero correct all right then we can double his pay
1: yeah we can triple it if we want i mean shoot well, let's, don't go overboard let's go crazy yeah what are we going to do next year if we do that we're talking about the kiss of death this is uh i knew this was going to happen but usually it doesn't happen quite like this had a conversation with a coworker yesterday uh who was telling me that he just got summoned for jury duty and it's the first time he's been called in like 20 years and i said well i shouldn't say what i'm about to say but for as long as I've lived here, I really haven't been called that much, and I'm probably due too. So this this conversation happened at one o'clock yesterday, and at five o'clock five thirty yesterday, when I got my mail, uh oh, there was a summons for jury dude I mean, four, <laughs> in, in four and a half hours, they heard the. Speaking of paranoia, somebody was listening to the conversation, and they summoned. They're out to get you. Yeah. Hey, Keith and I are taking the next uh, couple weeks off, but we will have the best of the front row uh, over the next two weeks. Uh, including a reprise of our conversation about Michigan FSU and the Orange Bowl and also the interview we did with coach Bowden who's obviously got the the film coming out in early January and uh, that interview was recorded in July but it really is a walk down memory lane with uh, Bobby you'll enjoy it if you missed it it. even if you didn't invite you to to tune into that Uh, also Tim Brando who has uh, a few opinions I was going to say no shortage of opinions Uh, So we'll pull out some of the best work from the front row. We appreciate you guys uh, tuning in and listening. We wish you and yours a, a very happy holiday season. Hope to see you in Miami, and we will talk to you again next year. Merry, Merry Christmas.